welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Guido. We'll pick up where we left off at the end of part one. Let me talk to you about social media because, um, you know, you've been in the industry a long time. Social media wasn't there. And now social media is there in a big way. How important is it to you and, and how has it impacted on the fashion business, Instagram in particular? Yeah, I think it's incredible. I mean, as I say, I tried not to be on it too much. And this time, obviously, I've been on it more than ever before. And it can kind of create anxiety in a funny way that you feel that, I don't know, it can play into our insecurities. I think the positive of it, though, is for young hairdressers or young well, let's talk about hairdressers because that's what we're, what I am and what we're talking about is that I think it's it's great that you can all have your own platform. Mm. So there would have been a time that, I mean, I can't believe how many amazing hairdressers there are out there that I would never have known of, you know, in other times because there wouldn't be a vehicle for their work to be seen. Yeah. And with Instagram, you know, you can flick through and there's like incredibly talented people there that might not get the opportunities like I have, or they might not even want them, mm. but there's a vehicle for their work to be seen. So it's very um, productive in that way. Do you know what I mean? Obviously it comes with the thing of the hard thing about Instagram is like you put a picture out and, you know, you see how many people like it. So it, you know, we've all got egos. And if you've got a lot of people that suddenly like a picture, you think, oh, that's really good. Do you know what I mean? It, you know, so mm. there is a competitiveness to it, but there is a creation in it. And you can literally do anything. I followed this um, Dutch hairdresser. I don't know if he's still post called Flying Barber, I think his name was. Right, and he did all his work on a, on a mannequin's head. And it was incredible. And he what? photographed it himself. Yeah. And it was a really creative kind of, um, page of work that was really inspiring to me. Yeah, yeah. As I say, I, um, you know, I've, I've noticed hairdressers that I would not have noticed their work before on Instagram. And there's amazing, talented people that that create on real people, on mannequin heads, or they create sculptures out of wigs or whatever, you know. And so it's great in that way. Yeah. How do you um, see Instagram taking over or, or from magazines? Has it replaced magazines in any way for a younger generation, for 20-year-olds? I mean, I've got two 20-year-old daughters. Well, one's 21, one's 19, and they spend all their time on Instagram. Um, and they're very in tune with what's happening out there, but they get it through their phone as opposed to going down the news agents and coming back with a bunch of magazines. From being someone who's, you know, producing content, you know, for big glossies, what, what sort of impact has it had? Has, has it, you know, replaced magazines in any way? Yeah, I think it has replaced magazines. Unfortunately, I'm a mag, I, you know, started in a world that was magazine led and, the height of like, as I said, in the 80s, where there's so many new magazines. And there are, listen, you go to a, a which is, um, which is um, 
which is uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, you go to like a newsstand. There's still thousands of magazines on the stand. Yeah. So yeah. there's obviously somebody buying them, and you know, I do love a magazine. I love turning the page. I love the excitement of when magazines were around, and you, you, there was nowhere else to get information. Now there's so many vehicles um, to get information from. So many blogs. So many kind of. Um, platforms do you know what I mean and it's just the way it is it's you know you can't live in the past do you know what I mean going god the days of the magazines you know I think there'll still be magazines it won't go back it never does and yes I notice a lot of things on Instagram that I you know wouldn't notice um it's just the way it is I mean it's just moving forward and we're not going to move backwards um but like look you know as we talked about Instagram Live or Instagram TV, anybody can produce their own content and have a vehicle to show people. That's an amazing yeah. thing where it's less elitist in a way. I mean, magazines were very elitist and working for them became very elitist and who you worked with and, you know, and all that. I mean, it still does have that. And I like a bit of that. I think the fashion business still should have that fantasy. I don't want it to be too normalized. I think mm. the idea of dreaming and looking into a magazine and, and having that, especially in these times, is really important. But I think Instagram is the way people communicate now. I think it's the way they show their work. And I think it's just the way it is. It's just yeah. You know, it's not yeah. going to change. Do, do you do um, – I know you spend a lot of time in the studio. I know you spend a lot of time doing shows. Do you do red carpet stuff as well? No. Right. I can't. Films? It's really do funny. I don't – no, it don't – I. it doesn't – it's funny. I can't even do it very well. Right. I mean, I do do it sometimes for people if I know them. Yeah. But I think there's a certain – I think we all have our kind of things that we're good at. Yeah. And I – you know, I think there's – there's fantastic, you know, there's amazing salon hairdressers. I couldn't be that. There's amazing red, red carpet hairdressers that can spend time with a celebrity and actress and all that goes with that, which is a lot. You know, it yeah. takes a lot of energy, not just sure. to create the hairstyle, but to be around those people. Yeah. And um, certain people have that personality and I don't. You know, my work is best when it's done quickly, you know. Okay. You know, I like to create quite quickly. And now I really don't even have the patience to say curl a whole head of hair. Right. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. I can do two <laughs> curls and then I say to myself, can you curl it? Because I, I need to just do the thing. I can't, yeah, yeah. I can't do that thing or put tons of extensions in. Yeah. Which in some ways is bad because when you do do that, along the way you find something new sometimes if you're looking and you see something happening. Um, but no, my patience is less now. And I get, um, it's funny, I'm actually more anxious now about creation than less um, anxious. You know, I feel, I don't know, I don't know why I get like, I get very, as I said to you earlier, you know, when I go to the studio, when I'm, when I'm doing a show, I'm as anxious as I was when I first started doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes I can't, you know, my mind, I think now, because now at fashion show, there's so many models. You know, when I started, there'd be like a big show was like 22 models. And now I do shows that have 140, 150 models. But you still only get three or four hours to create that. So yeah. the tension to create in that time is huge. And so 
it's almost like I can't even, I don't even have the mental capacity just to do one person's hair. Do you know what sure. I mean? I yeah. have to be moving all the time and, and making sure that everything sort of, all those 140 models are looking as, as good as they can in that time limit. Yeah. So, so, you know, the how many people do you have on, on your team to make that happen? Well, you know, if I'm doing like a show like that, I might have 50 or 60 hairdressers. Right. You'd, you'd want to. You know, and it's very difficult to sort of, you know, obviously everyone, as you know, does hair differently. Do you know mm. what I mean? Um, it's actually much easier to do a show when the hair is very technical because then there's no interpretation when the hair which a lot of hair is now it shows is a little bit more natural it becomes more complicated because everybody's idea of natural hair is different yeah so but it's very hard to um you know as being the boss and you know i have to try and maintain come up with a design teach my my nuclear team which might be 10 people who then go and show the other people and then i kind of try and manage it um, uh, and go around and see what everyone's doing and tweak it. Do you know what I mean? I find that's the best way of doing a show like that. Mm. When I'm doing a photo shoot, obviously, I, you know, I have um, an assistant I've had for a long time, Sandy, who knows me inside and out, and she's a great technical hairdresser, another Sassoon hairdresser. Yeah, I think I know who she is, yeah. Yeah, and um, so she kind of now, we've got a beat on how we work, um, I primarily work with Stephen Mizell in the studio now, and I there's a you know there's a way of working with him, and that is like prepping the hair. If I feel like it should be a certain texture or a certain thing, um, he doesn't really like to talk about the hair till the girl goes on set. So you have to be ready to do anything, and he likes to see you create it in front of him. Right. So I do most of the work right on the set in front of him when the girl is dressed yeah which yeah. is you know he's been you know i couldn't talk um enough about how Stephen mizell has been another great teacher um as well and teaching me about style and fashion and beauty and lighting and photography i don't think people realize to be a great um you know uh, a studio um hairdresser or a a session head or so whatever you like to call it, you have to know so many other skills rather you know, than just hairdressing. You have to understand photography and faces and clothes and history and film and so many things that, you know, that you kind of pull from very quickly to do your creation, you know. Yeah. Um, how, how important are those teams, those collaborations that you have, you know, working with Stephen with the photographers. Oh, oh, Yeah, I mean, you know, I think on my journey, you know, there's been like uh, David Sims obviously has been a huge influence on me and still is. And he's still someone who's very prolific in his work. We don't work so much together. That's because I live in New York and he lives in London and it's more difficult but when we do work together, there's a great synergy, obviously, after all these years. Um, Stephen Mizell, who I've worked with for, I don't know, 20 years now, and, you know, as I said, has taught me so much and given me a lot of confidence. He's someone that um, I think, you know, a lot of people are in awe of because he's done so many amazing images and has mm. great style. Do you know what I mean? He's, and, and loves hair and makeup. Um, they re- there is a big part of his pictures, but he's very, very encouraging as a person. 
mm. and as an artist and never lets you feel that you're not doing your best work, which makes you create even more. I mean, when I'm on the set, he'll be sort of shouting at me from behind the camera, you know, saying how amazing it is and go more and more and pushes you and pushes you, which mm. gives you a confidence. Do you know what I mean? He's not, he never makes you feel you're not doing your best. And even if it's not as good, he'll like go, go on, you can make it better. You know, make it sicker, he'll say. And he just like encourages you. He's an encourager. And he gets, obviously, he's looking for something. And he'll push his team to create that. And along the way, you learn so much. Do you mean? So I've learned about pushing an aesthetic to an ultimate sort of degree to get the sort of visual kind of um, results that I want, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But like he, um, um, Avedon, when I worked with Avedon in the 90s, it was a hugely kind of uh, awe-inspiring kind of experience. And I remember he'd often invite me to his studio on the Upper East Side and we'd sit and watch movies and he would tell me about um, what he was expecting from the shoot and like, you know, Abaddon was, you know, a god of fashion photography. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And to be thinking that you're sat there with this person who's trying to teach you something was a kind of amazing experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, and also all the designers that I've worked with along the time, which has been many, I've learned from them because every time you work with a great designer, they let you enter their world, mm. you know, which isn't my world, it's their world. And so, you know, if you're working with Future Prada or Valentino or I don't know. Calvin Did you have Klein. a favorite over the years? Is there, I know you used to do a lot of work with Alexander McQueen, for example. Yeah, um, I mean, he was a huge influence in my work. Again, another great teacher who yeah. showed me a different way of looking at a subversive idea of beauty and pushing it to an extreme yeah. and never settling for something he didn't think was great. I remember when he worked at Givenchy for that period, he would set me up in a studio below his and I would be with my team of hairdressers for maybe eight or nine days before I could tour show, creating wigs and things for his um, designs. And he'd often come down and I remember famously we were doing, he wanted a wig that looked like a drawing, like all little kind of like flicks of hair. Mm. And one of my assistants was literally gluing hair into this sort of, uh, to this wig so it looked like hair. I mean, it was incredibly technical and all that. Mm. And after four days, he just came back and said, no, it's not working, just scrapped it. And it was like he didn't hold back about his aesthetic. If it wasn't right, it wasn't right. It didn't matter how long it took. Mm. And I try to say that to my team is to try and be objective about your work, which is very difficult. But you have to be objective. Is it actually any good, even though you might have spent an hour, two hours on it? Is it actually any good? Or are you just mm. satisfied that you've got to the end point? But actually, when you look at it, what does it look like? Mm. And it's hard, you know, but you have to be objective. I mean, I think I've learned to be very objective about my work, do you know what I mean? Mm. And know if it's good or bad, or it's reaching that point that satisfies me. And I think, do you ever do something when you fit and you feel, oh no, I blew it? Oh yeah, all the time. Right. Okay. All the time. Yeah. You know, you just don't see it. So there's plenty of stuff on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, over you know, the years. Started, yeah, and I started doing like my own Instagram pictures, and you know, I just get a bunch of models, and I have all my wigs, and it depends on timing. I might just do wigs, or I might, you know, you know, do hair or whatever. But you know, you only see what I think is good. Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's hard when you do a fashion show when you can't maybe make it the ultimate you're going to be because of time and things. And um, you know, I give myself a hard time. As I said, I'm my own worst critique. Do you know what I mean? I I can critique any hairstyle I've done and think I could have done it better. Mm. Um, and I think you know what I try to say. You know, this thing about looking at a model and looking at what you want to create is the the biggest thing I feel that is hard to teach to people. To be honest, mm. is to be objective and really sort of try and start with a plan about what you're trying to create. And that can just be also, you know, I'm not just talking about doing, um, you know, shows and session work. I'm also talking about salon work. It's like, you know, you can cut a layer shorter around the face and you can emphasize something. You can cut it into the neck. You can do, you know, you can do the proportion. You can do the color. How do you dry a client's hair off? How do you keep a client interested? showing a new techniques, all what I'm saying that happens in an extreme way on photo shoots or in fashion shows can happen in the salon. And that's the way you kind of keep your sort of client happy in a way is by sort of reinventing what they want, um, but doing it in a new way. And that requires you to have lots of sort of tricks and skills up your um uh, in your hands, do you know what I mean? How can you do a blow dry in a new way? How can you add a new product to that client's hair? How can you maybe suggest doing like an outgrown bang when she's never wanted that, but you know, you know, it could really add some appeal to her face. How do you ch- change a woman's parting who's always had a center part, always had a side part? You know, I think a lot of hairdressers go into auto mode, do you mm. know what I mean? And, you know, and they do that in on on shows as well. Do you know what I mean? They sort of they sort of they they're all. It's just trying to free your mind to look at your subject and decide what you want to do. Your subject being a model or a client in the salon, mm. you know, and making the choices that you think is best to achieve what you want to achieve or to um, keep your client excited and interested that you know. Um, that she might want a slight change, but not a huge overhaul. You know, it's kind yeah, of yeah. being objective all the time about your own work and not being complacent. If I was complacent, I wouldn't have had a long career. Yeah. You, you, well, before when you were talking, you were mentioning names, you know, just they just roll off the tongue, you know, with, with absolute humility, you know, Muccia Prada and Avedon and Stephen Mizell. Um, do you ever feel intimidated? You know, I mean, and that was one of the things I said in the introduction of you is that when I knew the 20 year old version of you, the the one thing I would reflect on is that you just weren't intimidated by anyone or any situation. Um, and you did say to me that, no, that wasn't the case, that you did feel as awkward and uncomfortable as any other 20 year old. But I mean, I, I know people like Anna Winter, for example, you know, and you, you, you rub shoulders with all these people on set, on stage, you know, backstage in shows, etc. cetera. Do, do you feel intimidated working with them? 
Yes, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's, it's funny because, you know, with success, you do get to meet these people. And I actually work with Anna. You know, I did a few um, of the Costume Institute in, in New York, the Met. I did a few of their exhibitions. Yearly, they have these fashion exhibitions. And that started with when Alexander McQueen passed away. They did a tribute um, yeah. show at the Metropolitan Museum. And they asked me to create all the... Well, they asked me to do hair wigs for the show and I decided not to. And I sort of worked with masks and I worked with people that could create masks because I knew Lee so well. I knew his subversive idea of beauty and I thought I couldn't really achieve that with wigs and hair and or I didn't want to. I felt it was sometimes I think wigs on mannequins can look a bit, I mean, I don't know. At that time, I didn't feel it was right. And so I wanted to create yeah. these masks. So anyway, I did a series of masks and I had to work with Anna and be in meetings with Anna. And, you know, we became very personable. And then I went on to do two or three other exhibitions with um, Andrew Bolton, who's the creator, an English guy who's the creator at the mm. Met in New York, which is a huge kind of institution. And it's a huge kind of um, feather in your cap to sort of work um for them and obviously worked so closely with Anna and it was crazy that you saw this woman who's an amazing uh you know had an amazing career and is awe-inspiring and a little bit intimidating and then you're sat in a room with her talking about your ideas and having to show ideas or you know and all things like that and Yes, I would pinch myself at these times and think, God, how did this, how did I get from being this kid in suburban England um, to getting fired, to be sat with Anna or in a room working with Abaddon? I don't hmm. know. I mean, I still think I've been very lucky. There is luck to do with career as well. Right time, right place. You've got to know that, you know, I d nothing's you get what you get out of life I believe you know I still feel someone who isn't um complacent about their work still wants to push it still hope people feel I push my work and when you do that you attract people do you know what I mean the reason I got that you know gig at the Met was obviously because the people felt that I could do it and then I didn't know I could do it. I had to rise to that challenge. And when I decided to not even work with hair and how could I create these masks that I was designing, I had to look for people that could help me create them. And I didn't even know if it was the right thing to do. I just went with my gut instinct. Mm. And along the way, I realized that my gut has worked for me. And I know when I feel it's right, do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But yes, to be around these great people I mean, what I do, have discovered about working with great other artists and great um, uh, creators is that they all share the same thing. All the people that we've mentioned all are still striving to create. They don't, even though they've created such great things in their life, which will be remembered, they still, when you go into the studio with them or when you, you know, working with them they are still like the first day of work they're not complacent yeah and i've noticed that with any great designer any great makeup artist um that i work with any anyone 
and you, always or, yeah. they're all the same or if you meet someone you know like a great actor or an actress somehow you meet them and you realize they still have the drive a singer or anyone who's creative a great chef they still have that thing that they want to create and their last meal their last record their last film their last photograph wasn't the best that they could do and i think that yeah, yeah yeah i think that's what drives successful people do you mm. mean it's not the fame that that kind of goes along with it because mm. you know if you're recognized and you know obviously if you're an actress you become more famous you know, I don't, I'm not saying that I'm famous. I think in what I do, people respect what I do because I've had a voice and I stick to that voice and people, I suppose, admire that. But what I'm saying is that people, all the people I know who are successful have the same thing. They all suffer from um, insecurity and deal with it in different ways, but they all don't feel they've created their best thing yet. And I feel like that. I still feel like I could create something that not could top my last thing, but, Mm. you know, I still get a kick out of it if I find a new product that makes the hair look a certain way. Or, you know, I create something that I haven't created before. Do you know what I mean? It still excites me when people comment on my work and see something in it that I hope they see. Mm. And they do see it. Do you know what I mean? I think if you're true to yourself, somewhere it gets through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that whole thing in the beginning of my career with David Sims about speaking the truth of beauty, even though it was an affront to a lot of people's idea of beauty, it speaks the truth. It's like, why wouldn't somebody's fringe, if it was badly cut, not be beautiful? Mm. Why is it that if it was a bad dye job, it's bad? Do you know what I mean? What, you know, People, you know, we're sort of shown by society really to look at sort of Hollywood's gilded age. You look at sort of like all the glossiness, and especially in America. I think the good thing coming from England, we grow up with a rawness. So we grow up with the idea of the alternative, the odd character. In mm. America, there's such pressure to achieve a, like an ideal that I suppose we didn't have. We had different ideals, but it wasn't yeah. that kind of pure aesthetic do you know what I mean I think that's why English hairdressers are so good on the whole because they have grown up with this kind of alternative idea of beauty mm. um let's say in America you don't there is one kind of idea of beauty and it's sort yeah. of, you know Hollywood or healthy mm. and sporty do you know what I mean a lot of it's sure. got to do with a sport aesthetic where mm. in England we grew up with like a much more gritty alternative aesthetic about beauty and yeah. i always feel with english hairdressers or british hairdressers that they have that in them do you know yeah. What I mean? yeah let's just talk about hairdressers for a minute you, you obviously have a lot of people that you know come in and out of your team to assist backstage etc um what are some of the things that they do wrong like because a lot of them they 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 look at you and they go i want to be that guy but then, you know, five years later, you go, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're doing something completely different now. They're, you know, working in a hotel or something, you know. Right. Where, where do they go wrong? Where do they go wrong on your team, backstage, doing hair? Uh, and I know, I know that you know that I'm not talking about they don't know how to curl hair. There's something else, isn't there? What's the, what, what's the I advice think that, that you thing give I them? Keep, I think that sort of the thing I keep talking about is a sort of – is a is like a confidence and knowing what you want, do you know what I mean? And trying to find that. It's much bigger than just doing hair. It's like 
being, you know, because not you have to find where your niche is in life. Well, so much of our life is spent working that when you find a connection to what you your work, then you know it's a big part of our life that can give us happiness. I was lucky enough. I don't know why or how. I found my sort of calling in life. And lots of people say to me, not just hairdressers, that you're so lucky that you found what you're good at and that you enjoy. And we really, and I sort of suppose I'm around a lot of people that have done that in their career. Yeah. yeah. You realize a lot of people haven't. And then you realize when you work with people backstage, people come from different backgrounds, they come from different experiences. And they all have this idea about, you know, being someone like myself and what it entails. I don't think they realize how much hard work's involved to really get to the position I'm in. This has been a 35-year process, do you know what I mean, mm. that hasn't ended yeah. and requires so much dedication and so much more than I say just being a technical hairdresser. Also, you have to be psychological. You have to know how to deal with people. You have to contain your moods. You have to mm. be a diplomat. You have to be able to manage people. You've got your own ego to manage. You've got mm. different diversities coming in to sort of like throw you off. It's not just about, oh, I can do a great head of hair. Yeah. When you go into, say, like a show, you're bombarded. From the moment I walk in the door, you're bombarded by problems that might Mm. Um, in the end, cause you not to get the job done. Sure. And you have to yeah. sort of sell through these things um, and sort of and still produce the job. And I think a lot of people aren't prepared to do that. They don't mm. have the thing that it takes. And that's fair enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, everyone can't be, I'm keep, I don't want to keep referring to me like I'm something, you know, but not everyone can be. Some people are better to be assistants. You know, that's mm. their calling. They're very good at it and they're very happy of it. It's yeah. when we kind of want more but actually don't put in what we have to give. Do you know what I mean? If you mm. want to be a great salon hairdresser, there's so much that goes into it than just cutting hair and blow-drying hair. Mm. There's, you know, diplomacy, management. There's, you know, personality. There's... You know, even when you're not feeling good, you have to keep, you know, there's so, I mean, I've gone to work feeling I haven't had a day off in 35 years. And I don't mean that inside or boohoo me. I've mm. never taken a sick day. Wow. I've okay. got on planes. I've gone to the studio with abscesses in my mouth with like, you know, whatever it is. I've not been always healthy, but I've always gone to work. I've always, I'm never late. I never turn up late to work. Mm. I'm always there. If it's eight o'clock call time, I'm there at eight o'clock mm. or five to eight. If, you know, I have to stay all night to do something, I'll still be there all night. When I work with Mark Jacobs, he wants me there at every fitting. Yeah. And it goes through the night and I'm still there. And I have to be prepared to do that if I want to work with other creative people. And mm. that's their expectation. Yeah. So yeah. I think people don't realize how much work, apart from being just the creator, mm. uh, having the creative press, you need to do to create success. Success yeah. just, it might look like it comes easy. And some people do obtain it easier than others, for sure. And I think that's the luck of life. 
But to maintain it and to keep it going requires a lot of skills. And a lot of people aren't prepared to do that. I gave a lot, I gave a lot up to attain that. I didn't have a personal life. I didn't have relationships. Um, and that wasn't the only reason because of my work. It was mm. because other things that impacted me, I didn't. But mm. it was a lot to do with work. I was getting everything. I was being fed by work. And I wanted to achieve a lot through it. And mm. so I gave up a lot to, to get that. Now, nobody knows that when they see a great picture of yours or, you know, a great show or like an accolade that's being put on you. Nobody knows what you gave up and it's nobody's real business. I mean, yeah, not sure. so I wouldn't, yeah, yeah. wouldn't talk about it. I don't mind talking about it. what I'm saying is, but a lot of people aren't prepared to do that. And that's mm. fine. You know, everyone has different kind of things that they need to uh, address in their life. You mm. know, I think the people again, who I know are very successful have a very, very strong work ethic. What's very interesting about this time that we're in now is that when I was, maybe when I even I was at Sassoon, I was quite lazy. And when I grew up, I was quite lazy as a person. Mm. And I didn't really know what was going to spark my fire. And I found something that did, and I put everything into it. But now being in this lockdown at the moment, um, I've started doing a few, as I say, Instagram Live, but in the whole, I think, God, what am I without my job? It's so kind of not defines me, but I spent so much time doing it. Yeah. Um, and it kind of takes a lot of my sort of energies up, you know, you know, flying around and producing things and working with teams and blah, blah, blah. That you know, I sometimes think, God, uh, without it, am I that 15-year-old person again? And what would I be like? You know, because obviously, you know, there is a time that I won't want to work like I'm working. And it's like, who will I be then? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But other people maybe decide earlier on in that, like, that's where they're at. You know, like some people don't want to dedicate all their time and energies into this. But I truly believe if you want to be really great at your job, you're not really part part time in it. Mm. Um, Redken, you have a collaboration with Redken that's gone for many years now. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, so it's actually a, a timing, actually, your question. But actually, our marriage, our relationship ended a month ago. Okay. So I'm a kind of free agent. Um, and, you know, it's due to what's going on in the world at the moment that things have, you know, changed for me and for Redkin. But it was an amazing relationship we had 15 years and it was sad to depart, but I could understand the reasons. Um, they were an amazing company to uh, work with and they were so respectful of my vision as a hairdresser and I learned so much working for um, a product company so it was a uh, yeah I must say I can't I it was there was nothing negative about being with a huge brand like that we grew together they asked me um, period of my life that I hadn't even thought about working with a huge kind of company and as I say our relationship grew and grew and grew and um, Yes, it's uh, it was sad to part, but it, as I as I sort of said, you know, I feel my career is an ongoing journey, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next chapter, whatever that be. I'm not sure what it would be, um, but yeah. 
how do you anticipate that the coronavirus and the shutdown and the economy, blah, 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 how is all of that going to impact fashion, hairdressing, what you do for a living, what we all do for a living? As, as you do know, like, you know, salons are all shut down. There's no fashion shows. There's no, and I don't think anyone, I think that the hard thing is it's very hard to predict what's going to go on because everyone, there's no crystal ball. We've never been in this situation before. But, um, you know, and every time I speak to somebody, nobody really knows. I think that's a very exhausting point to be at. Everyone's unsure about how the world's going to come out of this, how our world's going to come out of this. In some ways, I think, you know, it's quite hard to talk about the fashion business or what I, that my side of it, because it feels a little bit sort of like, I mean, it's very important to me, but in the scale of things, I think what you realize in all this and what a lot of people have realized is how important hairdressers are, how important salons are in this time, how much people really rely on salons to make them feel good. And Mm. it should be, even though I know salon owners and salons are really going for a difficult time at the moment in this period, it should give them some hope of how much they're missed Mm. and how hopefully quickly when this does end, people are going to be running back. And, you know, all those losses, hopefully you can make a lot of it up. But I realized, and say my partner, for he said, I didn't realize how much hairdressers were an important part of women's lives. Because he's hearing now from his friends, like, oh, my God, will Guido do my hair? Because I'm, you know, like, not. But he didn't realize how much men and women relied on their hairdressers for not just to make their hair look good, but to make them feel good. And I think that has made me realize like, yeah, yeah, it's a a positive, do you know what I mean? And I know this is a very difficult period. It is for everyone. I mean, you know, we're all not working. We're all in quarantine. We all don't really know what's going to happen. But I think the salons will return if they can kind of ride this wave out somehow. I think their return will be in a, great way and i think even they'll be even more appreciated for what they actually do do for you know the average man and woman who come in and and they re- and i think people realize how what saviors they are for for us do you know what I mean? how they make us feel you know so great getting your hair cut getting it colored and all that and how important part of our community they are yeah. i think the fashion business yes wool is going to return I, don't, I can't really say how it will return at this point because it's going to be, it involves lots of people. Do you know what I mean? The very sort of nature of a fashion show involves lots of people. Studios can involve a lot of people. Mm. So I don't know how a model is going to feel about being, I don't know. It's, mm. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be time to tell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, again, are people going to want, how are they going to react? Do people want to see very positive images when they come out of this? Will there be a return to sort of like optimism and glamour and an upbeatness? We were in a period of realism in photography with mm. the, the, the sort of inclusion of all different kinds of beauty. In fashion, there's been a kind of return to that early 90s aesthetic, but done in a new way of like... Mm. You know, a lot of digital photography went out of fashion. People 
got back into old school like film and um, not that kind of uh, digital idea of fashion pictures. There was a lot less retouching done. There was a more reality being done. It felt much more like a sort of fashion photography became more about realism again. Will that continue in a time when we're, we're seeing a lot of reality around us? Will people want to escape more when they come out of this? Will they want more of a fantasy? Mm. Um, will they want more optimism? Will they want a bit more glamour? You know, you could say yes, coming out of this, you'd want to see more kind of optimism. You'd want to see more um, um, dreamlike images. Who, Who knows? It's hard yeah. to yeah. say. Exactly. It's hard to yeah. say. Well, I but, think you part know, of it is, it is it came so quick, didn't it? The COVID-19 yeah, I mean, thing, it just hit like that. Bang, we're all shut down. There was no sort of gradual transition into it. It was a very sudden sort of thing, really, wasn't it, for all it of It seems dreamlike still to me. You know, I still catch myself like, um, you know, thinking, you know, waking up in the morning going, wow. Do you know what I mean? I'm still, I'm not used to it. I still find it kind of a real shock. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That this has happened. I mean, you know, six weeks ago, you know, seven weeks ago, you know, life was kind of, you know, regularly normal. I never even, somewhere in my ignorance, I didn't even think that it would become this. Do you mean, even though I was in Europe when Italy started reporting cases and things like that, I still didn't think that it was going to, I don't know if anyone did. Obviously, yeah, they I didn't. Don't, I, don't think anyone, to, I don't think anyone you know, could have imagined this. You know, yeah. I just... It's so it's so unfathomable. It's very hard to know. And I don't think when you re look at the TV and you see all the experts talking, nobody really knows. There's just opinions how they think we're going to yeah. come out of this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, exactly. I think that's what's one of the hard things, really, because there's no, there's no kind of end game. There's no yeah. sort of like, well, when we come out of this, this is going to happen. Mm. We don't know because mm. this is an unprecedented time. So we have to be, I mean, all I do think about this in a positive is that what I, I said um, to somebody else is you realize how little you kind of need, I feel, yeah. that, you know, being um, without all the things around me and without all the, not that I had a wild excess of life at all, but um, when everything's kind of been taken away with it, uh, from us all, um, you realize you just kind of, you don't need so much. You mm. need your family or your family's love or your partner's love. And you need to be able to eat and you need warmth, sort of safety in that way. And I think, you know, hopefully everyone has found a way of getting that. Or, you know, I know there's a lot of people that don't have those things. But, you know, when it boils down to it, with all the trappings we had, you know, I think it's made us hopefully realize that we were living in a very excessive time. Yeah. And um, there seemed an imbalance. And what I think is quite nice now, that seems to be a balance going on in the world, a readjusting of things, and also an uncompetitiveness to the world, which is so... To not have that pressure of competitiveness feels very good. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It feels like... It feels soothing in a way that you're not worried what somebody else is doing or what someone else has got. Because at the moment, everyone's kind of got the same thing. I know there's different degrees in it. I'm not saying we're all an equal yeah, yeah. world. But somewhere there is a sort of, there is a leveler to this thing. Do you know what I mean? Which 
is a good restart. And I just hope when we come out of this that we can't dream experience and we don't just want to bounce back to our old lives, that we take something of this with us, do you mean, to make the world a better place in simple ways, be nicer to each other, do you mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, Guido, I, um, I, I've loved this. Um, we've gone so far over time, it's not funny, but I have, I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Um, and we need to, unfortunately, we need to, to wrap up here. So um, your social media channel, Instagram, um, I will put the uh, in the show notes, I'll put a link down for your Instagram channel so people can see some of the work that you do produce. Could you could you just tell us what is the Instagram channel that you use? At? I think it's Guido. I'm not sure. It is. I think okay. it's Guido Palau. <laughs> yeah, it's Guido Palau. P A L A U. Yeah. I'll put yeah. the link. I'll put the link in the in the show yeah. notes. Okay. So um, I will put those links in the on my website show notes, which is growmysalonbusiness.com for today's podcast. If you're listening to this podcast with Guido and have enjoyed it as much as I have, then please do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. So to wrap up, Guido, I would like to thank you very much for being the guest today on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. You've been an absolute uh, charming guest and a, and a wealth of information. And it's so good after 34 years to have had this opportunity to reconnect with you again. No, it's, amazing how life, older. <laughs> it's amazing how life turns around, isn't it? You can it never, that's, that, if you keep yourself open, you never know what's going to happen. I think that's this message here. Exactly. So great to talk to you. And be safe. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.